everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey, and we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. How have you been growing this week? Well, I feel like my updates have been a little all over the place recently. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was too overwhelmed to think about traveling, and then we booked a trip. Mm-hmm. And also, I was sick and did only a halfway phone detox, and now I am doing some more detoxing. <laughs> Okay, wonderful. Started using that block app again. So I've put in mm-hmm. some like, I can only go on social media so many minutes an hour. So then I can't Ooh. just like end up in a scroll, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Like I, I don't get stuck in there. And just thinking about my phone usage in general, which this book mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of made me think more about that too. So the other thing is I have, which honestly, this the phone thing is a product of this I haven't been sleeping very well. So mm-hmm. I've been revisiting all my protocols for keeping your cortisol down mm-hmm. because I think that's probably the problem, even though I I know I could go take the test, but it's expensive. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to assume that this is the problem and help with my stress levels because I feel like that's probably a good thing to do in general. Yeah. And at least a great place to start. Yeah. So I've been making some of those changes, but I also feel like I just hit my winter blues mm-hmm. finally it, it finally mm-hmm. caught up to me so we're just trying to do all the things to keep us healthy you know yeah all right well that's great what about you how are you growing i've been growing by getting back in the swing of like moving my body more oh so that's been really nice i had an unexpected 2 weeks off of work We had an ice storm in Portland and then our school building had a lot of damage. And so, yeah, so I had two weeks off, which was really nice, but I am just not somebody that can live my life not on a schedule for a really long amount of time because I just start to feel really sad. And so I started to go walk this week and I would just go to the gym and get on the treadmill and walk for like 30 or 45 minutes, get in the sauna for a little nice. bit. And I just did that. I've done that every day for the last like five days. And then we also went to a CrossFit class on Friday, which was really hard. <laughs> did you start your pull-up training? I did some of my pull-up training in the foundational classes that we had to take for CrossFit where they walk you through like how to do all of the different movements and make sure your form is good and all that stuff, which is great because we don't want to get injured. And Mm -hmm. I told them during that when we were doing some pull-up stuff and a lot of like assistance stuff with pull-ups that I hadn't tried before. And I was like, this is my number one goal of CrossFit. Wow. (laughs) I need to do a pull-up. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that's just been really nice. Like it just makes me feel better physically, even when I'm so sore, it hurts to walk, but and mentally and emotionally, like all the ways, just making myself be active for at least 30 minutes a day is just, it's just good for me. Yeah, that's nice. I also did something similar recently. I started yoga with Adrian's like oh January, you know, it's the 10 year anniversary for doing it. Can you believe that? Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. She's great. But I feel like this is my favorite one that she's ever done. So I oh. am excited about it. And I think I'm on like day four. I didn't start at the beginning of, Janu- of January. But um, yeah, so hopefully I'll make it through all 30 days. That's really cool. Okay. I'll have to look at it. Maybe I'll join you. I also just love that Benji is in all of them. He's so cute. He is so cute. 
And I love that she's just like kind of quirky. Like she always has like at least one weird thing she says during the video. And I just yeah. really appreciate it. I feel like her energy is just the best. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I honestly can't believe it took me this long to read this book. Yeah. I have read it before. I actually read it while I was pregnant with Delaney, which was, oh. I think, perfect timing. Yeah. How was your second read through? And did you listen or did you read it? Okay. Well, just in case somebody's listening to this and has no context for what we're I'm talking sure. about, we we'll read <laughs> What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah. Mm -hmm. I listened to it both times. Okay. And I liked it that way because I like listening to Oprah. And I also feel like the audiobook is like pretty conversational at points, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do agree. know that there are some diagrams in the physical copy that are good, I think. Mm -hmm. Did you listen or did you read it? I listened to it as well. And I had access to like PDFs of the diagrams and such, but I didn't actually look at them. Yeah, I know that the because he talks about that upside down triangle mm -hmm. multiple times throughout the book. So the first time, first or second time he referenced that, I went and looked it up and I did, that was helpful to me. But mm -hmm. everything else I kind of skipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what are your overall feelings about this book? I loved it. Mm -hmm. I think that everything they talk about is like a little bit threaded through a lot of our conversations. Mm -hmm. And this time that I read it, I felt a little overwhelmed by like, oh my gosh, there's just no way I'm not going to screw Delaney up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're feeling the pressure. Yeah. Which I mean, I know that like cognitively, I know that, you know, I will do things that are wrong and sure. I, all I can do is repair and move on. But yeah. And you'll do many, many, many things that are right. So yes, that's true. But yeah, it was. It's a little bit disheartening to hear about how hard people have things. And also, I think that the foundation of this book and getting to a place where we can recognize it, we shouldn't be asking what's wrong with you to people. We should be mm -hmm. asking to you is mm -hmm. like a, an excellent starting point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I also loved it. I gave it five stars on my Goodreads, which. I'm really protective about my five stars. Wow. So. Okay. But, but this was an easy five star. Yeah. I thought it was excellent. And I loved that they weaved so many stories of real people. Not And not mm -hmm. just from Oprah's perspective, but it also it was fun hearing her interviews and clips from the Oprah show. I thought that was really interesting. And I also enjoyed hearing stories from Bruce. Yeah. I think – his stories were really helpful. Honestly, just the connections that he's able to make mm -hmm. from like, okay, this person is having this problem. And oh yeah, it was like his dad's deodorant smell that was like triggering. Totally. Yes. How did you realize that was yeah. what was happening? Yeah. So fascinating. And I like that th this can be an overwhelming topic, like talking about trauma and how it impacts us individually as a community, generationally, all of that stuff, I think it can be overwhelming, but I feel like they talk about it and explain it in such a way that is approachable for people and yeah. so easily digestible. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, I wish scary. that I could make every teacher in America read this book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I have in the past heard teachers talk about like problem kids and like, mm -hmm. you know, how annoying and hard it is when kids have behavioral issues. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I hear you. They make your job harder and mm -hmm. like, it's not their fault. You yeah. Know? Like, they're not doing this to you. Yeah. And how much empathy 
would be inspired if they were to like read this book or look at these kids in a different lens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you probably already knew a lot about this before you read it, but how much did you know and what did you learn? Yeah. I have done a lot of trainings that have Dr. Bruce Perry's work either directly. It's like all about his work or he's kind of threaded through a lot of different trainings that I've been in. So that was kind of nice because it wasn't unfamiliar to me, but it was great having reminders of certain things or him going into it in a more in-depth way. I did think it was really interesting that he said he didn't like trauma-informed care. Like he doesn't like that labeling because he finds that it's a lot of talk and not a lot of action. And being in a school where I've been in trainings literally called trauma-informed care at schools. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I thought, I don't know, I just thought that was an interesting point that he made about that. And I think is probably true of a lot of places, like even just thinking about play- different places that I've worked. Well, what I heard from him, what mm-hmm. I took from him was that the label trauma-informed care is not standardized across any any of our systems. So like if we had a better standardization of like what that actually means and whether it's like science-based and Mm -hmm. doing something, then that would be a better starting place. That'd be different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I knew, you know, about ACEs. I knew about how our trauma can impact health outcomes later in life or that, you know, or has the potential to anyway. But I, thought it was interesting hearing about the view on connectivity being so healing. And I was like, okay, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Of course, like that is, you know, our social connections and our community connections are really important in building resilience for us. But I didn't think about it as healing and that they talked about, you know, whether you have a mental health disorder or you struggle with addiction or any like lots of different things that plague people that they're like, oh, this those are just different symptoms. They're expressed differently, but it all leads back to the same thing. And we can heal those through connectivity and and such. I thought that was interesting. I liked how they talked about therapeutic interactions versus like therapy. Because yeah. the way they outlined it in the book is that Yes, when you're in therapy talking about things that are hard for you, that's obviously healing. But like therapeutic interactions, even if it's something like talking with a friend for a few minutes about something that's hard for you, like mm-hmm. that is as healing as as a clinical setting. Totally. And I think it helped me kind of rethink my interactions with kids at school that are younger and that they just don't have the language or you know, like the reflection skills at that age to really talk about what's upsetting them. And not that they can't, you know, in small bursts, but I can't have a 30 minute conversation with a seven year old about, you know, what's going on at home that's really upsetting them, you know, like that's not. And so I think it gave me some ideas and some different tools that I can use and still feel like I'm being impactful. Yeah. Well, and to just, I don't know, maybe you took something different from this, but I was thinking too about how even your presence in a room with a person like that Mm -hmm. probably makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Like being there on a consistent basis and Mm -hmm. like showing interest and supporting them with with whatever they need, whether it's talking or not is probably helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I loved that he talked some about when he was working with children that he would start by like really just not talking that much at all, which Mm -hmm. 
is something that I have grown my skill in, but I know it's so hard for grownups to like sit with a kid and do an activity and not speak yeah. and, and like giving them the control over how they want to interact with you is so challenging, but it's so powerful. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool thing that he kind of highlighted in his work. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, I want to come back to the thing you said about connection being healing because yeah. I think this was the part of the book that I had the hardest time with, but also probably learned the most about mm. because I think they talked about how, you know, like intergenerational families and households are helpful and healing. And I, I, I know that makes sense because, you know, a child has multiple people they can go to for different things. Mm-hmm. And then I also think about how it's interesting because it seems to me like the family members are often the people that are causing some of the trauma. So it seems a little counter counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, they, but they didn't talk about that. So that was just part something that I was like, I don't see how this would be helpful for a kid who's being traumatized by family members to be in an intergenerational household. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like it would have a lot to do with is every person in the family that they're living with contributing to this trauma or is at least one of those people safe? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Just a, it was one thing that I was like, "Hmm, I'm, I would like to know more. Yeah. I thought the, the epilogue was probably honestly one of my favorite parts where they Mm. took a kid who was in foster care and his placement was with a family who lived within a retirement community. So he was exposed to, a lot of people of really all generations because of the people that were working at the retirement facility, but like also a lot of older people Yeah, and how healing that was for him. And I was like, what if we just put all of the kids in foster care or whatever into communities like this? Like right. we just mixed retirement communities with other people who don't have homes, yeah. like of all ages even. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that would do. That, I don't know. That's an interesting an interesting thought. I feel like too, it was fun to hear him talk about that that kid had associated other kids with what was like it? not safety. Basically, it was yeah, like he with, found he found uh, like kids and the chaos of like elementary school and stuff just like very triggering. It sounded yeah, like. and like overwhelming, which I thought was yeah. I don't know. It just it was such a fascinating book and people are so complicated and they're so interesting. And it was like him and Oprah are able to like go into these situations and these conversations with people and just get to it. Yeah. Well, and it makes you think about how many possible triggers and like, you know, ways in which the a school system does not set up a kid to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everybody's so different and we put them into these structures that may or may not work. And then mm-hmm. also we're, we've taken over the course of the last few years, taken away the regular dynamic activities, which they talk about that too, of like recess and art and music and like getting the regulation part so that they can actually do the learning. Mm-hmm. And is that happening enough? It's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and even the daydreaming portion mm-hmm. about how daydreaming is such an important part of your brain development and your regulation skills and how that is either seen as ADHD or it's seen as not listening. And so I'm like, okay, when I am working with these younger kids, especially being like, 
mindful that that is important. So even if it's, you know, they're maybe yeah. they aren't paying attention for five minutes or whatever, like it's fine. There's no reason for me to interrupt that because what they're also doing is important. Yeah. Well, did, what did you think about when, I don't know if you caught this, it was kind of short, but mm-hmm. there was a section where they talked about how people pleasing is a function of dissociation. I did catch that. <laughs> I probably tried to dissociate during that <laughs> portion. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought that was an interesting way to explain it. And I could see that. It's like dissociating from yourself almost because, you know, you're trying to make sure that everything is calm and everything's good. It's like creating your own sense of safety by ignoring mm-hmm. what you want or what you might need or whatever in favor of others. Yeah. I like how he described dissociation as fleeing like the flight response into your mind, like into mm-hmm. your own daydreams or like whatever you've created in your head, which mm-hmm. I, I 100% identify with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another aspect that I that made me think about my work in schools and with children in particular is when they talked about how touch is so important. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. And especially when they brought up how when children were separated at the border and the people that were working there were not allowed to touch these like little, little kids because, you know, they're trying to protect the workers and they're trying to protect the kids. And I'm like, I totally understand that because I'm in the position, you know, we're told not to do that, you know, in schools. And although I understand it, it makes sense. It is complicated. Like it's more complicated than that. Yeah, no, I can't. I I really identified with when he was talking about that because he was saying like basically all kids, but especially like toddlers and, you know, like kindergartner, like young, young kids yeah. in schools, they're not meant to go eight hours without touching people. Yeah. And that's a way that they learn and grow. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine sending Delaney into a scenario where nobody's going to touch her for eight hours. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't feel good to me as a mother. Totally. And it helped me think about, especially, you know, I see it mostly with the kindergartners and first graders that if they're touching each other and it's like, you know, they're both fine with it or they're holding hands or they're hugging or whatever, then, and not that I normally would say something to that. But I think a lot of times if a kid runs up and hugs me, I always do a side hug. Mm. Or sometimes, you know, we're teaching them about consent, like even at this early age and say, oh, ask me for a hug first. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that, you know, you can ask for a hug, you can ask for a high five, but trying to break away from them, just like running and grabbing you. Yeah. Which is also an important lesson, but it's also like like they need it. (laughs) Right. They need, they need to know about consent, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, is that like, should we wait till a certain age? till we start talking about that? Cause it feels like, you know, I'm actually already thinking about these things because Mm -hmm. I took Delaney to a little class and she was just very obsessed with every other child there and was running up to them and like trying to hug and kiss on them. And I'm, I was like, okay, we need to talk about personal space. But then I'm like, okay, but she's a kid and like kids do that. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Well, and that's how they, especially at her age, it's like they're, that's how they learn. Like they're touching everything. And, um, and he talked about that some too, that kids that aren't touching things are like that if they're just on their screens all the time and they, end up preferring that level of stimulation. They don't know what a flower petal feels like. They don't, they, you know, it's like they learn through, through 
through their hands and their bodies and all of that. And so that is really important. I don't know. It's complicated. And it's different, I think, when you're in a school or a preschool or daycare, whatever, and you are the grown up and you're responsible for the safety of all of these kids, Mm -hmm. you're going to err on the side of okay, well, just don't touch each other because <laughs> what if somebody gets hurt, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there's a good answer, honestly. It's like yeah. one of those things. Yeah, that you just do your best. But it made me be like, I should hug kids more. <laughs> you know, side, yeah, I mean, side hugs, but I should hug them more. Yeah. What's the thing at Disney? Like a character is never supposed to let go first. Oh, did you know that? It? Yeah, no. I think so. Like, if a kid hugs like, one of the characters there, like, they're not ever supposed to let go first. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, I was like, oh, that is such a sweet customer service thing for children. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think, too, there's been sometimes where if I sit on the carpet, the kid, there's several kids that they want to sit next to me and they want to touch me. Like, it's not just they want to sit beside me. It's like they want to lean on me a little bit mm-hmm. or they want to put their elbow on my lap or they want me to hold their hand walking down the hall. And I will always hold their hands walk down the hall if they want me to. But sometimes it's my uncomfortable, like I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to be touched. Like, yeah. And so trying to balance that too. Yeah. All right, well, you've touched on this a little bit that you're like, this made me think so much about Delaney and raising kids and all of that. How do you feel like this book impacted you as a parent? I mean, I think it made me think about all of the ways that I do or don't get her the things that she needs. And I mean, the technology thing was definitely like, we've talked about that, the phones and screens. It's hard to know as a parent what's okay and what's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to, I think I'm after this call, I'm going to go ask Seb to listen to like a very specific part of it because it talked about how like when a child is looking for something like for a parent to meet a need and Mm -hmm. they are disregarded because a parent is on a a phone. That's Mm -hmm. like not awesome, which obviously it's not, but I'm wondering if we ought to like build in some like phone free hours so that I try, I have historically tried really hard to like, if I'm looking at my phone and Delaney comes to me or looks at me that I immediately put it down. But I still think that, I don't know. It's hard, but yeah. like, you know, sometimes I have to order groceries or like do sure. things on my phone. And of course. Sometimes I just dissociate and, and end up on my phone and I don't want to. It's like yeah. learning good habits to to manage some of that. That's something that I'm still thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is they talk so much about how connection and community is important. And that aspect is not something that I'm naturally very good at. Mm. I do am very grateful that we have the friend group that we have because I feel like I have friends that come over and love on her often. Mm-hmm. And that's nice because she's interacting with lots of different people. But I still just feel a little bit like she doesn't have enough, especially people her age around her. Mm-hmm. So we've already started taking that. Like that was something that I had identified a while back. So I'm like looking at different things that we can do to get her into classes and stuff like that. But yeah. I want to find one that works for everybody. Like the one, one of the ones she really liked was like 25 minutes away from here. So like, that's mm-hmm. not super feasible to do every week. So we'll just, we'll see how that goes. But that's another yeah. thing that I'm definitely thinking about. Okay. 
What did you think about them talking about how parents are not intended to raise and care for kids on their own? I think that's a hundred thousand percent true. And it's hard to find a community that is yeah. like always there. And one of the things that Seb and I have struggled with is that we are very introverted. So like mm-hmm. Delaney has many people who love and care for her. And sometimes Seb and I need the space. So it's yeah. hard for us to balance like, oh, there's all these people that want to come and see her. Mm-hmm. And like, we've had people in our house all week and just, you know, like want our own space. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, I don't. And I think too, our society is just not set up in any way, shape or form like it used to be. Yeah, no, I <laughs> we're know? lucky that we even have the support that we do. Like, I, I yeah. don't think most families have what we have. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Okay. I have one more parenting question for you. Okay. What, <laughs> what is your dream for Delaney and how she will like navigate challenges in her life as she grows up? I think my hope is that she will have the tools that she needs to navigate challenges herself. And when she doesn't, will know how and when to ask for help. And I think that second part is something that our generation generally can sometimes struggle with, like mm-hmm. knowing when and where to, to yeah. ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was interesting, the resilience piece of it, because they talked a little bit about how there's like an atypical response to a stressor and then a typical response to a stressor and then a resilient response to a stressor. Mm-hmm. And like, hopefully everybody's moving from either a typical or atypical towards a resilient response. And I think that they talked a little bit about this too, but allowing kids to have sh- enough struggle, but not too much struggle. It's a hard balance mm-hmm. to strike, I think, but like, you know, developmentally appropriate challenges help build their resilience. So that's mm-hmm. something that we'll have to work into as well. She's honestly already helping me unload the dishwasher. So like, look at her. Yeah. I mean, we're on our way, you know, she's, she's working in that household. Mm-hmm. Pulling her weight. <laughs> it's about time, Delaney. You're <laughs> over one. So get a job. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so complicated. I, One thing that kind of stuck to me, because I'm like, I've definitely said this a bunch of times and I've heard people say this lots of times is, oh, well, thank goodness kids are so resilient. Yes. That was the interesting part. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it just, it brought up so many things, especially because I work with kids and I'm in the mental health field. There were so many nuggets in this book that either gave me a different way to think about certain things, especially things I struggle with, or just kind of highlighted something that I do, or I know people do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I might need to look at this again, Mm -hmm. or things that I'm comfortable with, or things that I feel like is the right choice or the right way to do something. Be like, okay, maybe that isn't, maybe I could do this in a different way that would be more beneficial to kids. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you listening, what they said in the book was that kids aren't actually resilient. They're malleable. Mm-hmm. So they adapt to their circumstances well, but that doesn't mean that they're like exactly the same as they were yeah. before and like a big event or stress or trauma. Totally. And I've talked to, to my principal some about this and this kind of, I think ties in is that we don't know what kids are internalizing. Yeah. 
I honestly kind of err on the side of they're internalizing literally everything. Yeah. Which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, as the grownups, we have to be mindful of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do think I thought a lot about how in the future, once she has a little more language and Mm -hmm. ability to have like, you know, interpersonal communication types of conversations, Mm -hmm. establishing the type of relationship where we can talk about something that's hard, even if it means that it's about our parenting, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't want her to feel like she can't say, I hate that you did that. And I especially don't want to be the mom who can't apologize for doing yeah, something wrong. Totally. And that's so powerful for kids to see grown-ups apologize. Oh yeah. And I don't think it's again for our generation I don't think it's something that we were modeled so I don't think it's something we we're good at. Yeah. Oh, I'm horrible at apologizing. I'm not awesome at it. It's something that Seb's <laughs> working on too, so. Yeah. But um, it's really really important to me as mom to apologize when I've hurt feelings or because the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about just outside of this book, but in this book as well, is that intention and impact are two totally different things. Just because your intentions were good does not mean that the impact was not bad or harmful. Yeah, totally. And we have to, especially if it's with a kid, like you have to take a responsibility and accountability for that. If, you know, yeah. if it's grown up to grown up, then it's probably more complicated. And maybe you have to only accept part of that responsibility instead of a hundred percent, you know, whatever. But yeah, I think that's a great point. Also, I appreciated them talking about trauma and how, yes, if an event can happen that is, is really stressful. I was thinking about this in terms of the bomb threat that we had at my school mm-hmm. a couple months ago that for me, like that wasn't, I wouldn't consider that traumatic to me. Like it was, it was stressful and mm-hmm. my body and my brain was really exhausted when we finally went home because I was just, you know, so, uh, my cortisol levels were so high for such an extended period of time. Yeah. But, and for a lot of the kids, it probably wouldn't, they might, they probably won't look back at that and be like, that was a traumatic event in my life. But for some of them, it probably was. Yeah. But I, I liked that they talked about how different people, I mean, we know that people experience the same thing in lots of different ways, but I just appreciated that they called that out. And if something isn't necessarily traumatic, it's still like an acute stressor because I just feel like that's good language for me. You know, when I talk to kids that have been in a car accident and then they're really scared to get in the car mm-hmm. and like for most kids, it probably really is more of an acute stressor and they will be able to move past that and they won't even think about it anymore at, you know, a certain amount of time. And then for some, like that might be something that they have to develop coping skills around and, you know, might be something that they struggle with for a longer. Yeah. I would love to see a little more research on how these acute stressors accumulate and uh, Mm -hmm. impact people, because I feel like there's a lot of people I consider myself in this category. I don't know how you feel about it, but I wouldn't say that I have like trauma in my childhood. Like I had a pretty happy, healthy childhood and I still have some things that impact me as an adult. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes tough to think about like, oh, these, you know, these types of like big T traumas are obviously problematic, but I also think that there's probably a lot of people who 
would benefit and hearing more about like, what is little T trauma doing to us? And like, yeah. how can we not dismiss that too? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the ACE test and the ACE stands for adverse childhood experiences. And the, I think it's 17 questions and it's all big stuff. It's like what the most common one that people would answer yes to is probably, did your parents get divorced mm-hmm. between ages, you know, zero to 18, but the rest of them are, you know, did you, live with someone who had a mental health condition? Did you have a family member go to prison? Did you, you know, were you sexually abused? Like pretty big things that everybody would consider traumatic. And so I remember when I took that in college or when I took that in grad school, you know, I'm lucky and thankful that my score was zero. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't have things from my childhood that impact me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I I agree with you. I think that sometimes in these types of scenarios, I have the tendency to be like, well, I'm not traumatized, so I should be fine. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a healthy mentality. (laughs) Like I'm trying to convince myself that it's like not a big deal since I don't have any big T trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing that I thought was interesting and reminded me of a book that I had to read in grad school called Crazy Like Us was when... Dr. Perry is talking about how the medical model for handling trauma and depression, anxiety, and all of that relies so heavily on cognitive behavioral therapy and pharmaceuticals and that it it just focuses so much on those two things and kind of ignores Mm -hmm. all of these other things that can be healing. And one of them that he talks about a good bit is rhythm. Yes. And I I so appreciated that he did so much research and like um, experiential research Mm -hmm. with indigenous communities Mm -hmm. because I think that most academics would probably not have done that Mm -hmm. but that was one of his findings from from that experience I think was that the their healing well which honestly some of the stuff he talked about it was like not a one-to-one correlation of like you know, the way that th- therapy would be, you go to the session and that's what fixes you. It's more like a, we operate in community and that heals people's problems because yeah. community is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the rhythm thing was really interesting because you talked about how regulating, which, you know, we've heard this, I've heard this on and off for years. It's yeah. like walking and yoga and all of those things are really good for, for us. And the dancing. Yeah. I thought that was fun because I feel like Dancing It Out got made popular by Grey's Anatomy because oh, Chris- yeah. Christina and Meredith used to do that. And I remember I would do that in college with my roommate, Bet- Betsy. We would because um, we were we watched all of Grey's Anatomy in college together. And I still do it now. Like that's one of my coping skills is like if I'm in a funk, oh. like putting on music and dancing is – and, you know, I love to go dancing. Like that always yeah. makes me happy. I feel like our whole friend group really like mm-hmm. we're never in a better headspace than when we're, somebody's getting married or, <laughs> or we're <laughs> going to Tapo and dancing for three hours. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, was, you know, I was like, I need to find something that incorporates rhythm like in my in my life more regularly that is something like fun. And so I started looking up some dance classes. Oh, really? That's fun. Mm-hmm. Anything that you're thinking about doing? There, I found a couple of places that I can do like a drop-in class for pretty oh, inexpensive yeah. so I can like try some different places. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. I feel lucky that I think that I do some of these things naturally. Like mm-hmm. 
you know, we have on music in our house pretty regularly. So yeah. I would say the dancing is like a pretty common thing. Yeah. And I walk all the time in our neighborhood. So that's yeah. also good. I did. I do think that the yoga is really helping men- me mentally recently, yeah. which that's a new thing. So hopefully I keep that up. Mm-hmm. But I also I've seen ads or maybe not ads, it just like on my Instagram is like popping up. There's a studio and I think East Raleigh that does like step classes and they look like they're so much fun, but it's like far enough from my house that I'm like, I will probably never drive over there. Yeah. But they do virtual classes. I found out. Oh, and one of them is a rebounding class, which I have a trampoline. So I think that I'm probably going to do some of their online classes. That sounds so fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Oh my gosh. Okay. That sounds great. Please report. Well, back. honestly, now that they're virtual, if oh, I yeah, like them and they're good, then you could do it with us. Yeah, let me know. Can you post it? I will get a trampoline. <laughs> they're not that expensive. I got one during the pandemic, I think. Um, and I keep, well, I kept meaning to pull it out, but then there was one at the class that I took to Lainey too, and she was uninterested. I was like, oh, are you kidding okay. me? <laughs> Come on, girl. Yeah. But as soon as I start bouncing on it, she's going to be like, my turn. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anywhere specific or time that mm-hmm. you do your best, most reflective thinking? I think it is one of three places. The most consistent place is definitely when I'm cleaning. Oh, that okay. is always like an internal time for me. And the other two places are in therapy and then with you on this podcast. Oh, wow. I love being in the top three. I feel so honored. (laughs) In my top three. Wow. Um, What about for you? Uh, Number one is definitely the shower. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, actually. Um, I have a little book that's like the tarot major arcana for – it's like a board book for Delaney. So it has like there's – zero through 21, all of the cards. And one of the cards is the hermit and the way that they made the archetype of the hermit accessible to children is to make it about how sometimes you do your best thinking in quiet spaces and the little girl's on the toilet. (laughs) It's like, that is hysterical, but also probably accurate. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So yeah, the shower is the first one and my journaling practice would probably be the second one because that's so yeah. intentional. That's yeah. obviously like I'm doing that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And also when I'm walking, I would say, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's, I have a lot of space for like quiet, which I think I'm lucky for that. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like therapy and this podcast is pretty closely behind that. But typically by the time I get here, I have flushed out a lot of those thoughts in my head already. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Okay. Another part of the book that I really loved and made my heart break a little bit was when Oprah is talking about when she interviewed Shaka, I think was his name, who had gone to prison for uh, murder. And then he gets a letter from his son while he's in prison. And then he just kind of does like a full 180. And She's interviewing him and he is talking about how before he, you know, went to prison that he wanted to be a doctor. Like growing up, that's what he wanted to be. And he grew up in an abusive household and his mom was very abusive towards him. And he, she's like, oh, what made you want to be a doctor? And she says, 
he was silent for 23 seconds. And that's a really long time to be (laughs) silent on TV. (laughs) And then he is like, wow, I've never even thought about it before. But I think it's because when my mom took me to the doctor, she was always nice to me there. Yeah. And the doctor doctor was always nice to me. Yes. And that's why, because I thought if I'm if I'm a doctor, then my mom will be nice to me. And I was like, oh my Ugh, gosh. That's so sad. And it, you could tell, I re- I remember listening to this one, and you could tell that he was just coming to the realization. 100%. Like, this is the only why. reason I wanted to be a doctor, which yeah. is so heartbreaking. Yeah, that one, that one really got to me. And it also made me think about, you know, with the trauma-informed care, that push towards all practices and in all fields, all of that stuff. Have you ever been in a setting like a doctor's appointment or school or something else where trauma was not considered a factor, even though it should have been or wasn't even considered? I mean, I can't think of a specific scenario, but I think, you know, as I've gotten older and I've realized how much Especially not just trauma, but also like the your internal dialogue, which is, you know, heavily informed by the things that have happened to you. Mm-hmm. What impact that has on your physical health. I have quickly realized that like our medical system is just really not set up to support general health sure. in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we've still got a bunch of this trauma stored in our body and we're just never addressing it, then like, how can we ever really be healthy? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so sad. Um, I think that I've had that realization in probably the last five years and it really changes the way I look at health, I think. Yeah. But yeah, no, I wouldn't say one, there was not one specific scenario for me that's Mm -hmm. more obvious than the rest. What about you? Yeah. It definitely made me want to read the body keeps the score, which I wanted to read anyway, but it's so long that I have been putting it off. But this made me be like, all right, you need to just at least start it. <laughs> you can yeah. you can slowly work your way through. Well, I think we've talked about this before, but I have a reference book. It's by Louise Hay. And she, there's, I know that there's one that's like a full text, like you can read about what's happening, but mm-hmm. I have just the reference version where it's like, if you have a certain ailment, it like has the reflection of what might be the like root belief mm-hmm. that is under that under that ailment. Yeah. And then like an affirmation that could help it. Yeah. Which I think is a little bit reductionist for big traumas, but yeah. like for small things, I, I find it very helpful. Yeah. Um, I actually was re- referencing it the other day and I happened to look up insomnia. I wish I could have the actual words with me, but it was something about like self-rejection. And I Mm. was just thinking about like how mean to myself I have been over the course of my life and like how I've finally gotten a little bit better about it. But I I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Like I'm not nice to myself in my head a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not going to, you know, the, your history of that is not going to go away just like that. Even if you start to, you know, do it better now. It's going to mm-hmm. take time for your body to like move that out of you. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't had maybe a specific time where trauma should have been considered, but I do think every time I go to the doctor, my general doctor, she will go through a list of questions that are a standardized set of questions that I think are important to ask, but it is so 
obviously just routine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's such serious questions that I'm like, oh, even if I had been feeling depressed for the last two weeks, I don't think I'd tell you that because there's no relationship here that has been really established, even yeah. though, you know, I've seen you many times and she's, she's a great doctor. Like I don't dislike her, but I just think, yeah, like you were saying, like our medical systems are not set up for it. And so that always feels so insincere <laughs> to me. I also feel like probably most people aren't honest on those types of things. Totally. Like, I'm not here for the fact that I've been feeling down a little bit. So I'm just going to ignore this question and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think I've definitely talked about this on here before, but that my when I was in grad school and then I started to get this pang in my stomach. And when I went, you know, not once did anybody ask me if like I was stressed or if I'd been feeling anxious or any any sort of mental health questions like whatsoever or what are you doing right now? Like, oh, you're in grad school. It just didn't even cross anybody's mind. And then like it turns out, oh, I'm just so subconsciously anxious that my body was telling me that I was anxious. And now it's great mm-hmm. for me because now I know that that is what it is. But yeah, so just like little situations like that where it just makes you think like, huh, surely we could do this better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you look at your physical ailments as like a sign of something else, it Mm -hmm. seems like it would be reasonable that we could work backwards, you know? Yeah. And instead our medical system is just like, oh, I'm sorry that hurts. Let me give you some medicine for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Come back if it gets worse. Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) which, you know, sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Totally. Okay. One other thing that I liked about the book Mm -hmm. is that one of the things that Oprah mentioned is that you teach people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. How would you say that you teach people (laughs) how to treat you? That's a great question. I was trying to think about this and I, I think I, maybe not as much anymore, but I think for a long time, and it's something that I'm still having to work on, is that I teach people that I will be as small as they need me to be. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is something that is like a big area of my life that I really need to focus on. Yeah. Being okay with like taking up space, but also like letting other people know that like I am going to take up some space and like Mm -hmm. that's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is fine. But I think one of the hard, one of the especially hard things about that is not even just taking up the space, but changing the dynamic can Mm -hmm. be very hard. Totally. I've done it this way forever. And I know that you expect me to do this. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to change how I'm acting. So it's like, that's an awkward thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's very anxiety provoking. Yeah. What about you? How do you feel like you teach people how to treat you? Well, I mean, I feel like the appropriate, the the correct response is to set boundaries and have good communication skills. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I mean, I would also say that to some extent that my personal way of doing this is like energetic, like it's a vibe. Like I, (laughs) it's just a vibe, you guys. I mean, it's like, you're talking to me and I am reading, like you can read a person, like totally. I'm not going to engage with this, you know, like yeah. you can gossip all you want to and I'm just going to sit here and not respond. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like there's certain relationships that 
I'm good at teaching other people how to treat me. And there's yeah. certain relationships where I'm just really terrible at it. Yeah. Yeah, same. Because I would say probably like our relationship with Seb and Taylor, like that is different than some of our other like friendships or with family members and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like with Seb, it's just so much easier because I can literally just say like, hey, I need, I need this. Like mm-hmm. this is what I need from you. And yep. he's like, cool, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What areas do you feel like this book helped you grow? I mean, I think probably mostly in parenthood because okay. I th- I think that's what now I'm like reflecting on how my behavior and choices are impacting other people yeah. that I'm responsible for. <laughs> uh, what about you? I think definitely my work. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was really wonderful because I, especially this year, I feel like I've felt burnt out like a lot of the year. And this book really helped me fill my empathy cup back up. That's good. And so that's so nice. I know it's yeah. such a great feeling and I'm happy to be going back in with a new outlook on some certain things or, you know, like I mentioned earlier, different tools ways of thinking about things I think is going to be great. And I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I hope you know that your job is so important. Like that's what this book said to me. (laughs) We need more Annas in the school system because it's important for kids to have safe places to Mm -hmm. work through this stuff. Totally. Thanks for doing everything you do. Thank you. All right. Well, if you read this book as well, or you just had thoughts from listening to us really ramble about this for a while, but hopefully it was really fun rambling. It was fun for us. You can email us at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow along on Instagram at likeheartedpod. Talk to you soon. Bye.